0: Um, this week Jordan and Ben and I went to a conference in Dallas, Texas that was really good and beneficial and I knew for a while ago that I'd be doing that and so I'd ask John to come speak. You did the interim pastoring here, I mean most know, but for those who weren't between yeah. Al and I and did a great job, really appreciate you shepherding our flock yeah. in that time. And, and what a perfect day for yeah. you to be here, right? Okay, no mission day. I'm yeah, I've served yeah. overseas in Africa lie. for what, 28 years yeah. and yeah. all that, yeah. so thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to be back. And hey, church fam. Faces. Yeah, just, they're still hot. New faces. Uh, I'm John, my dear wife, Priscilla. Uh, we live in Topeka. And I used to work. Hey, y'all, I'm retired. I've changed. We worked overseas. And then I worked here in, based in Topeka with all the churches, the Southern Baptist churches in Kansas and Nebraska. And I used to drive a lot. I don't now. I get to stay home. In fact, I was telling Priscilla, I think we've been on I-35 since COVID started, maybe three or four times. And I used to be on I-35 like every week. And so, a new chapter in life. And today, really special to get to come back and be with you because there's very few churches like 12th Avenue. First of all, those flags mean something. And then to get to have two folks that sense God's leadership in their lives to be obedient, to follow him by going to another place, learn another language, invest the good news that they've experienced in another culture. Hey, and your church celebrates that. And then, I mean, to hear that it's 12th Avenue that pushed you over the top and you guys are going with, with that kind of support and the same with the Park family, with how we work together. So a church that wants to touch the nations you're a bit unusual. But here's the other thing. Now, Garen, he didn't tell me why. But about two months ago, Garen said, hey, Sap, could you be with us on May the 2nd? And uh, he was at a conference. But you are a church that believes the Bible. And I understood that you've started in January, but you as a church are reading the Bible through this year. And so I got the gift of being in the book of Luke, and um, I've got a message that uh, I believe Jesus wants us to hear today, but to be reading through, and I get to be in Luke, is kind of special on a mission day, because y'all remember, Luke's a little unusual. Luke is from the Gentile part of the world. Paul found him in Tarzan, brought him not in Troas, and brought him down to Israel. So Jesus has been resurrected death, burial, resurrection a long time ago, and he, being a doctor, knows how to talk to people. He can ask great questions. And so we get the gift of Luke interviewing and learning about the life of Jesus and writing about that, and then we get the second book, the book of Acts. So you're going to get Luke, you're going to read John, which I love John, then you get the book of Acts, Luke 2, uh, where he is used by the Holy Spirit to help us hear and think and envision what Jesus did. And so, beginning our time, hey, I get this new little tool today. Beginning our time, in Luke 9, 51, we have a new section in that, in the book of Luke. And here's what Luke writes. He says, now, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set out resolutely to go to Jerusalem. And so you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke's the only one that gives us what people are calling the journey lessons or life on the journey. He decided, in fact, Luke says, his face was set like a flint. It was set like a steel conviction, I am getting to Jerusalem To be hung on the cross, to be resurrected, and to see the church explode. And so on this journey that starts in chapter 9, we get him really doing several things. First of all, he's investing in the disciples. So lessons on the road while they're working their way into Jerusalem. We also get him confronting the Pharisees and the scribes, the Jewish community, that by this time, do not approve. They don't like what Jesus is teaching. And we watch him deal with them. And then we get to see events that take place. Where And there's one today where miracles, Jesus interacts with people, and something happens. And so if you've got your Bibles, we are going to be in Luke chapter 17. But I want to go to Ephesians chapter 1. You know, For those of you that weren't here when I was in between, we did the book of Ephesians for about nine months while I was with you all. Today, I believe in Ephesians chapter 1, 22 and 23, there's something we need to remember about who this Jesus is. The disciples don't know what I'm going to read that Paul writes to us, but listen to what Paul says, who he is, and he, that's God the Father, and the Father put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so today, listening to Luke talk about what happened on the road, I believe there's some all things we need to kind of tune into. The fact that he's going to talk about temptation and forgiveness. The fact that he's going to talk about faith. The fact that he's going to talk about how we live as servants and how he lived as a servant. And then what he did with a group of lepers is just evidence that God was putting everything under the feet of Jesus. There's nothing in your experience, your world, this this world that he is not over. And then not only are all things under his feet. He gave him as the head of the church and all things are under him. And so he's the filler of the church. He's, he fills all of us with all we need. And so today's words that Jesus was saying to the disciples, some of these are a little could be a little hard. But I want us to remember that in his great love for us, he is filling us up to the full with the life He wants us to have. So, back Luke 17, starting in verse 1, 1 to 4. There are four sections we're going to look at today, and here's the first one. 17, 1 to 4. And, there it is. And He said to His disciples, let's just pause right there. He's been talking to scribes and Pharisees. And when he's done with the scribes and the Pharisees, he's with the guys, with the disciples that are walking with him. And so this is for them. And so here's what he said. And He said to the disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It'd be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was cast into the sea that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. As these guys are walking into Jerusalem, Jesus is introducing something that I believe is a hard thing for us to hear. First of all, wake up, pay attention to yourselves. Temptation is coming. I remember when I first started my faith journey, I was in college, I was a freshman in college when I, by the way, that was 49 years ago. My 50th class reunions this month. That, boy, that makes me an old man. But learning that life is a journey, that he daily wants us to discover more and more of what he is in your world, right where you live, is really the message that Jesus came to give. And so he's telling them, he says, guys, I want you to know that your relationship with me is not going to get you away from temptation. Temptation is out there. And pay attention to yourself. Learn how to understand, learn how to identify when it comes into your life. Because one of the easiest things we can do is to deny. God wants us to be aware of what's going on. And not only aware in our own lives, but he wants us to be aware of temptation and sin in the community in which we live. He wants us to be honest with one another. He warns him. He says, now, any of you that you cause a weaker one or that a, a little one, a child or a, a new Christian, if you cause them, you entice them to sin, it'd be a whole lot better for you that you had a big old millstone that grinds wheat, that millstone tongue around your neck and you thrown it out in the water. It is serious stuff to be leading people into temptation. I don't want to be there, but I do want to be aware of myself. He says, pay attention to yourself. What are you doing that could cause that? Then he says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. Ooh. Now, I told you, we lived in Africa for a long time. And for 11 years, I, we were in Nairobi, in the capital of Kenya, and I was responsible for a lot of missionaries. And one of the things that happened all the time was, I mean, y'all, you know, this happened More than I wish it would have. Somebody comes to me and says, Somebody, so and so did did this, he did this. What are you going to do about it? What I want to do about it is help you be responsible for what you've sensed. Let's be honest people and talk to your brother who's sinned against you. Maybe he misled people, maybe he lied about you, whatever, but I I could tell you stories. but be honest with them because the one who can fix the brother of sin is not you. My job is not to try to convict people of sin. You well, know, I didn't tell the first service. One of the things that I'm enjoying about being retired, I've retired from my preaching job, preaching today, but I don't do this every week and I'm not around traveling around. But on Sunday nights, I got a bunch of guys that are coming to my garage. And uh, we have, it's more like a locker room than a Bible study. But they are policemen, firemen, a couple of Marines. It's guys that uh, COVID has, they've just left the church. They're mad. They were mad. They're kind of grown over it now. But as we get together in that room, in the garage, and tonight maybe on the porch, and listen to what God's Word has to say with us, to say to us, I get to watch the Holy Spirit speak to hearts. Because that's what he does. He convicts me. He convicts you of sin. That's his work in your life. And so when a brother sins against you, it's not your job to convince him of sin, but it is your job to be honest. And that's where it takes courage. And so that's the first part, being honest with your brother. We live in a community where we trust God's presence over this church enough that with integrity we can talk to each other. But here comes the second part. Not only do we be honest with each other, when the Holy Spirit works in the heart of your brother or your sister, and they see that, okay, what I did was wrong, and they repent, and that's what repent means. Repent means agree with God. I turn the other way. What I was doing is wrong. I want to live this way. We have a responsibility. And that responsibility is to forgive them. Now, I don't know about you, but it's a whole lot easier to gripe than to forgive. And so just recently, I went through an experience with another dear person, and I felt, well, what happened wasn't right. And then we talked about it, I talked to the person, and you know what happened? The person said, you're right. I was wrong, will you forgive me? When they said those words, you know what I had to do? I had to forgive the person. And what I did was I kept hold of it. I kept saying, Well, but you said, but you did this. But they had been obedient to Scripture, had been honest with themselves and with me, and agreed that what had been done was wrong. And my responsibility was to forgive right then. See that, yes, what happened was not right. But guess what? The Holy Spirit's at work here. That person sees what's right, and let's walk life together. And Some say forget, forgive and forget. Yes, we know God says he forgives and forgets. Sometimes it's hard to forget, but you know what? Keep remembering that the Holy Spirit was at work in their life and now in my life, where I can say, thank you, Lord, we want to grow together in this and keep the fellowship that we're supposed to have as the body of Christ. Now, that's a nice little lesson. For Jesus to be saying out on the road with the guys who are walking with him towards Jerusalem. But the next one, look what their response is. The apostle said to Jesus, He said, Lord, increase our faith. What you're talking about is hard seven times in one day? Are you kidding? If the person confesses and said they repent, what they did was wrong, and Then they do it again, and then they repent, and I've got to trust your Holy Spirit to be at work seven times in one day. Increase my faith. Watch what Jesus says. He says, if you had faith, like a grain of mustard seed, one of the little ones, you could say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, isn't that a strange answer? But here's what I think Jesus is saying. It's not the size of your faith. You can have a little tiny bit of faith. If, now faith is believing that God will do what he says. So do you believe that the Holy Spirit can convict of sin? Could you believe that the Holy Spirit can change your heart for you do forgive? And we can live together in a relationship that reflects Christ in both of us or in the community? It just takes a little bit of faith to do that. And the miracle that can happen is the tree gets uprooted and grows in a different place. I mean, miracles happen around here because people are obedient to what he says, how he leads us. And so faith for the journey he wants us to know is a gift from him. And to grow that faith is what he's trying to help these disciples and apostles figure out as they're headed to Jerusalem. And so the third... This one, for me, is kind of a hard section. So let's hear what Jesus has to say. After he talks about for, forgiveness and, re, and rebuke, as he talks about the faith that we have, that little bit that he can change life, here he goes on to say, will any one of you who's got a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? No. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterwards, you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you've done all that you were commanded, say, we're unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty. You know, this little passage, for me, it's got a bit of a bite in it. Because, I mean, we want to be nice people. I've got a servant. The guy's working out there. He's worked with the cows all day. Priscilla, did I leave my handkerchief? Oh, I found it. I found it. You know, a servant that's been working all day, and then he comes in at his job. This guy was expected to take care of the cattle and come home and fix supper and serve him. Seems to be a bit unusual until I realize there's some things about servanthood we can't forget. And so, let's look at this passage. First of all, notice what he says. He says, will any one of you, what's your concept of servanthood? You know, he's, he's appealing to them. He's not saying, now this is the definition of servanthood. He takes it to them, and he says, now wouldn't you guys, I mean, you all know, servant. you guys are fishermen, you guys got people who work for you. Wouldn't you expect them to do what they're supposed to do? And by the way, if you forgave somebody, you know, you don't wear your I, I forgave badge. It was just what you were supposed to do because you've already been forgiven yourself. So he says, would any of you? And then he tells that story to get them to think about it. But, you know, they're on the road, and let's remember what Jesus said in Mark ten forty five. Listen up. Jesus is talking to them and he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus says, listen, I'm one of the servants. I'm just like you and my father. Who's the loving one sitting on the chair? It's my father. And my father, they don't know this on the road, but my father's given me a job to do. And that job is going to be, I'm going to be taken, I'm going to be accused falsely, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be hung on a cross, and I'm going to die. That's what the father has called me to do. And so he joins us as being a servant. And then he invites us to, to be with him. And so Mark ten forty five helping us understand that. And then he's going to talk on it one more time. That's why I love the chronology of the life of Jesus. We get that in the gospel. So he's on the road coming to Jerusalem. In John chapter 15, we get Jesus in Jerusalem. And here's what he says. No longer do I call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what, is his ma- what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I've appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And so sitting in that upper room where Jesus, I mean, it's, this, it's only hours away from when he says these words. He's going to be taken He's going to be beaten. He's going to be tried. He's headed to the cross. And he looks at all of me. and he says, hey, guess what? No longer am I calling you servants. I'm inviting you to join me. We're friends. Because I will tell you, the Father doesn't want to keep you in, in suspense. He, he will tell all of us. He told me, I'm telling you. Everything that he wants to establish a relationship with broken humanity with him. And so, no longer is Jesus over here. Jesus is right here and invites us with him in what he's up to. I just, I just love it. I love the way that God introduces truth to us and then reintroduces it, strengthens us, helps us to understand in this lifelong process of becoming a disciple. And we get a snapshot of it right here on the road where he he talks to him about being a servant. Not only does Luke give us three acts or three events or teachings, you know, he started with temptation, forgiveness, rebuke. He follows up with faith. How much faith do we need? Then he talks about this whole issue of servanthood. And then we get an event kind of the impact of what he's talking about. So here's the story. On this road, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, right there at the border area. And he was met by 10 lepers who kept their distance, but they cried out to him. And they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And Jesus from a distance said, go. Go show yourself to the priest." And as they went, they were healed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and came to Jesus and with a loud cry, cried out to him, thanking him for what he'd done and fell face forward on the ground, thanking Jesus for what had happened to him. And Jesus answered him and says, weren't there 10 that were healed? And there's only one? That's come back to praise me, and this one is a foreigner? And he looked down the man to the Samaritan. He says, Get up, rise, and go on your way, because your faith has made you whole. That's the end of the story. So what's Jesus? experiencing. I I don't think this was set up. I think this happened on the road in these ten lepers. And by the way, don't miss the fact this is in border country. you got Jewish people and you got Samaritans. Those are enemies. They don't get along. But the the lepers have got one thing in common. It's called leprosy. And they can't hang around town. They can't go into town. They can't be with the family. They are outcasts. They're the bottom of the chain. And these ten guys come up at a distance and they cry out to Jesus. I just love it. He, he didn't touch him. He does other places, by the way. I love the places where he touches them because everybody thinks the leprosy is going to go from the leper into you. But the truth is, life goes from Jesus into the leper. That only happens with him. And so now he just had to say it. Go show yourself to the priests. And as they're walking along, their hands start changing. I've seen leprosy. Leprosy's not pretty, it's in Africa. I mean, you lose your fingers and it's, your skin's white. It's, it's, it's bad. And as they're walking along, I mean, hands are coming back together and all of a sudden, it's, well, we're talking a party. And they start saying, good night. I'm going to be okay. Man, I deserve this. I've been waiting for all this time for something good to happen to me. It's my turn. I'm going to go home. I'm, and nine of them get caught up in that. But one of them as he sees what's happening, realizes where the power is at. And what's he do? He goes back to Jesus. He falls down in front of him, and he thanks him. He says, thank you, thank you for what you've done to my life. And Jesus asks the question, well, how many of them got healed? Church family, I hate to say it, but I think the majority is the nine to one but I don't want to be the nine. I want to be aware of what he's doing. And so these disciples, as they're walking along, I think it's going to soak in. Jesus wants us to be a forgiving people. If you want to be in his kingdom, you want to walk with him. Part of walking with him is going to be a servant. You're going to give your life to other people. You're going to forgive other people when the Holy Spirit works in the offender's life and works in your life. And guess where all that comes from? It comes from Him. And so I want to be just like the one, and every time I see God's work, I want to come and I want to say thank you because He's the one on the road with us changing our lives. What I love about church family is, guess what? This is one complex little community. In this room today, I know that I know There are people that have been deeply hurt. And if you've been abused, I am not telling you to go back into an abusive situation, but I am telling you to be honest and confront an abuser and say, what you're doing to me is wrong. And then let the Holy Spirit work. And the Holy Spirit convicts. And we don't have just talk. We have real life change. Then we forgive. He's, He's growing our faith that little bit of faith that we get started. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And I tell you, I want to invite you all to just keep this book going into this so that our faith will grow day by day by day. And then accepting the fact that he's called us to serve others just like he served you and he served me. And so in closing, I have three Thoughts of application, Ap- application for our gratefulness. First of all, let's be grateful for the Spirit's presence in our lives. When we see Him convict me, and you all, by the way, I told you a story about someone who offended me because I had to get convicted that I had to receive their repentance. I was convicted because I was hanging on. I wanted to hang on to that offense. And so, as the Holy Spirit works in my life and calms that down and says, John, receive the gift that I want to give you. I want to be grateful for his place. I want to be grateful for the community. Right now with COVID, who knows? Y'all, I told you about my garage guys. The guys in the garage were there because they're mad. Church got taken away from them. A couple of them are are in AA. They said, we got to meet together face-to-face every week. And why'd you take church away from us? Well, guess what? It's not taken away now. Where are you at today? Sad thing is they're not going to church. The only church they got is Sunday night in the garage, most of them. And so what God wants to do is grow us. And so realizing the work of the Holy Spirit, convincing us of conviction of sin in my own life, of conviction of righteousness, and how to live a life that he wants to live through us. Secondly, let's be grateful for our faith. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing this word and thank you, thank you, for you taking this word, not this one, but the originals, and getting it into the language of people so that their faith can grow. God's working in that place. And finally, being grateful for a loving and focused father, a loving and focused Lord and master. And he's a servant and invites us to join him in serving others. I don't want to ask you to stand. Church family, it's, it's been, I think, two years and five months since I got to be here with you. It's been really good to just come and see what 12th Avenue is up to. I want to close with a word of prayer and then just have a closing thought. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your deep love for us, you've given us your word. And, Father, as we hear what Jesus was up to on this road to the cross, Father, help us be learners. I thank you that we learn because of your Spirit. We don't learn because we we can produce it. Father, we want to be receivers. We want your Spirit to speak to our hearts, and we want to listen to you. We want to have ears to hear. And we thank you for the way that you communicate that. And, Father, we thank you for the invitation to join you in getting the good news of what your son did and what he is doing today to every tribe, every tongue, our neighborhoods, and our families. And Father, we want you to know we're grateful for that invitation. And Father, we thank you that you love us, you speak to us, you change us for your name's sake. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. And so, church family, because of what he's done for us, Because of the fact we have the Holy Spirit that both convicts and convinces, I want to ask you today to go and be the church. Have a good Sunday.